Venturing Voices provides a platform for women in South Carolina who get shit done. I'm Nell Fuller, the co-founder of Femex Columbia and Fem Capital, and each week I'll dive deeper into the stories of inspirational women who make an impact in the Columbia community and beyond. So today I have Jean Saunders Blanks with me, and I'm really excited to introduce her to all of you and to have her talk to us today and tell her story and introduce herself. So first, welcome, Jean. Thank you so much for having me now. Of course. Um, so starting out, tell us just a little bit about you. How do you identify? I am a mom, a lawyer, uh, an immigration practitioner. Uh, I work in an academic environment, so... Uh, I, I identify lots of different ways as a woman, as um, a spouse, a partner, lots and lots of labels. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about um, what you do now. I am technically the director of the Office for International Scholars at the University of South Carolina. Uh, what that means in practice is that I handle the employment-based immigration work for the university when they hire someone who's not a U.S. citizen. Wow. So that this is an interesting time the past years to be doing that kind of work. I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been a rodeo, for sure. Yeah. Um, so you were doing this before um, the last presidential years. Um, what were some of the biggest changes that you've had to face? And do you see um, any, I guess, remedy to that moving forward? Sure. Yeah. I joined the university in 2008. Uh, before that, I practiced family law um, in private practice. Um, and when I came looking for other opportunities, uh, I have a background in international languages and business and was looking to recenter around that international focus um, and wasn't quite feeling it in the family law environment, though I learned a ton and I'm glad I did it. And we can talk more about why. <laughs> uh, however, uh, when I came to the university, I had been to law school at USC, which at the time didn't offer uh, coursework. They do now on immigration law. And they were kind enough to hire me and let me learn on the job about all the things that are involved in hosting and hiring folks from around the world. Um, so I've been in that role for a while. Um, I became the director about three years ago, um, right in the middle of, as you said, the most uh, astoundingly difficult uh, policy landscape for immigration. Um, the area I work in is just employment-based immigration, um, though certainly there were much broader impacts um, in everything from asylum to um, you know, migration, removal types of um, impacts as well. But from an employment perspective, uh, it's certainly, it's, it's the most difficult period that we've been through in terms of the policy adjustments, the extra regulatory types of actions uh, that were taken to make it more difficult, um, and the relative uh, inflexibility of, of some of those things to, to be corrected in a meaningful time frame. Um, because everything just wasn't normal. And on top of that, the pandemic was <laughs> really really was a whopper um, on that on that front so right um, so we can talk more about that in a little bit but I want to 
I want um, you to talk a little bit more about your journey to get here. Cause you've been, you've had a business before and done all kinds of wonderful things. So, okay, well let's, I guess we can go back to the nineties. Let's go back to college. Let's go back to the nineties. Let's go back to the nineties. I um, graduated from college in the late nineties and uh, majored in Italian and French and between childhood and that had considered becoming everything from a shoe designer to a brain surgeon, you know, (laughs) um, I have a friend who tells me I'm such a Gemini, um, (laughs) but I, I, I like to, I like variety. Um, so, uh, I've, I've tried on lots of different shoes and hats and, um, interestingly, they've all fit to a degree, but I end up changing for something else because something doesn't just quite feel right. right. Um, so I haven't ever been afraid of, of change radical change if I need it. Um, I've tried everything from journalism to um, corporate fashion, garment production, behind the scenes type stuff, which has an international component, um, family law, um, and all those things, oddly enough, were the perfect three things I needed to do the job I have now, which I wasn't wise enough in my 20s to understand. but, (laughs) But looking back, it actually turned out just right. So what inspires you the most? Oh, uh, bravery, truth-telling. I'm, I'm a big believer in, in speaking up when something doesn't feel right, just isn't right, or you know, the, the, the capacity for people to make change when they speak up is, is really astounding. And the older I've gotten, the, the more comfortable I've gotten with practicing that myself. Um, and and the repercussions that I think we all sometimes feel about pushing, you know, when things need to be pushed, particularly as women um, in the workplace or, or in any capacity, really. Um, I've gotten less and less afraid of that or less, uh, I don't know if it's fear, really, less um, less willing to modulate my message based on what I think the repercussions might be for me personally and professionally. So um, that's, that's been a nice thing about getting older and wiser in my, <laughs> in my career. Um, so so yeah. some, what are some of the ways you, you do that here in Columbia outside of um, your day-to-day work life, which is, I'm sure, full of excitement and challenges and opportunities to do that? Gosh, let's see. Um, uh, as a friend, I think, um, just supporting other women, um, you know, being willing to share, um, you know, my own experiences, you know, things that happen to us sometimes that we might feel embarrassment or shame or uncertainty about, um, and my, you know, our first inclination may be in a defensive posture to keep those things private, but I've gotten more and more comfortable sharing my own experiences, good and bad, with, with friends and found that yeah. they're willing to repay that that vulnerability and strength that coexist in that, and that, um, back to me, which has, um, right. really, um, been powerful. And I'm, I'm glad I've been leaning in that direction. Yeah. That's so important to have, um, people in your life who you can tell anything to and not have to be afraid of being completely rejected or shamed. Um, that's been huge for me as well. Um, so you have two amazing twins. Tell us a little bit about them. I have uh, twin sons. They'll be eight next month. Hard to believe. That's crazy. My tiny babies. <laughs> <clears throat> my mother likes to joke that I raised them in my spare time, which is totally accurate. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, 
but uh, I have a great co-parent and um, and great friends and a great community through their school. Um, it really does take a village, and I'm uh, I'm enjoying being a mom. Um, that's it's a job description I thought I was prepared for, like most Type A lawyer people. Maybe right. <laughs> <laughs> turns out um, there were some curveballs, but that's that's sort of part of the fun, right? Is right. playing playing catch up when you're when you and especially with twins, you know, it's it's not really a fair fight. There's two against one <laughs> sometimes. Right, right. So. Um, <laughs> Right, um, but I'm. I feel like I'm getting my stride with that too. And then they're going to be teenagers next thing I know. So right, then I'll be outmatched yet again. So right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yes, I can relate to that. So, what's the biggest challenge you faced along the way? And if you have a funny story attached to it, because it's always good sometimes to put humor on the same plane as um, you know challenges and tragedy or growth? I'd say professionally, um, challenges like making big moves. Um, and I mean, I should acknowledge that I've had the privilege of being able to make those, um, without some of the repercussions or or limitations that others may face. So, um, I, I'm grateful for that. Um, but, um, I remember when I was sitting in my old fashioned job, and uh, back in those days, I wasn't importing people, so to speak, or you know, helping, <laughs> helping uh, you know, workforce, uh, global workforce issues. I was moving garments around the world and getting them made and getting them here, and um, which is um, something that after a while I realized just wasn't fulfilling some need. Like if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, you know, so what? Like what have I? Right. Okay, what have I really done with myself? Um, and um, and I remember sitting in a meeting with, uh, with some of the folks in that company. And I don't know if you remember back in the 90s when people started naming their pants. I kind of that sounds strange, but when, when, <laughs> when like you go into a, a store, right? And maybe it was jeans or pants for work and people would say, oh, you look more like a Samantha or a, an Alice or a, right? And they started giving a name, a persona to the fit of your pants. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so all... I didn't personally name my khakis George or anything. Right. It was like, re- from retail perspective. Like, a, like from a retail fit perspective, they, one ways that companies tried to diversify themselves in the market was to, you know, to, to create, you know, jeans that were like your best friend and right. let's name her Abigail <laughs> or whatever. So, um, so that you would buy the pants there that you came to know and love like an old friend. So, um, and I remember sitting around in a meeting with a bunch of half mannequins, right. And a bunch of people who were trying to figure out how to make these bottom halves of people's mannequin fit. Like, and I remember one merchant stomping in the middle of me, our pants just aren't relevant. And that was like a light bulb for me. Because I just, I realized that if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, I had been spending my life making irrelevant pants. And that just, wow, like, that sort of hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, so <laughs> I got up out of that meeting and I went next door to the conference room and I called my parents and I'm like, you know, I just had this kind of eureka moment. I feel like maybe I need to go to make a big change, like maybe go to graduate school or something. Yeah. And of course you know, my parents have known me a while and know my personality and they're like, how about law school? (laughs) (laughs) 
Right. Right. And I had for years been threatening to be a doctor or something else or a shoe designer or whatever, but I hadn't ever considered law school. And apparently they had for quite some time. So they, okay. that was their chance to whisper it in my ear. And I decided maybe they were onto something. So, um, yeah. so I studied for the LSAT and took it and applied. And the next year I was home as a 1L the following fall here at USC Law. So Yeah. What was your vision for law when you started? I thought I would continue on the same path that I had been, that I'd stay in a more traditional business environment, that maybe I'd you know, move to Europe and represent fashion designers or something. And of course, that was not at all what happened. And But that's okay, because um, things in my personal life ended up leading me to family law. Um, my partner had ch- children from a previous relationship, and I wanted to have some connection between my personal life and my professional life. So I got really interested in learning about blended families and how those things work in a legal construct. And um, so I got into that, that area of practice, um, through personal interest. Okay. Um, And, and I learned a ton about the human condition. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. (laughs) And, and, you know, there's a lot of sort of a social work, kind of counseling aspect to it, you know, helping people make good decisions when they're under a tremendous amount of stress or a tremendous amount of upheaval in their lives. Um, is takes a certain amount of finesse, and that was a real um, area of growth because I'm a fairly candid, straight person. I don't sugarcoat much, and I had right. to learn how to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how to help people because my, my direct way of communicating wasn't always, you know, what my client maybe needed to hear from me, maybe a gentler approach, and so that was a real challenge for me to, was at that age to try to learn how to be more nuanced in the way I, I communicated with people and helped people, not the way that suited me, but the way that suited them. Right. And learning to adjust. Yeah. That's probably not something that you take a class on in law school. Nope. <laughs> it's <laughs> just is, black and white. That is not on the bar exam. <laughs> <laughs> so then after your, um, your jaunt in family law, you, um, Where'd you go from there? Then I went to USC. Uh, and like I said, I, I knew absolutely nothing about immigration law. I just knew I missed the international scene. And um, and both of my parents are academics, so I didn't fall far from that tree. <laughs> and I felt a certain just cultural comfort level in an academic environment and was so um, was so happy when they said, sure, come on over. And, yeah. you know, I took a pay cut to do it, which is fine. I mean, I didn't know anything. Um, right. And, but it was, uh, I was also looking to become a parent at some point, And so I knew that I would need a little more flexibility and um, regularity to my hours that, you know, certainly being in a, in a, in a private law practice with trial type hours and the uncertainty of that just, I knew maybe was not going to mesh well with early childhood parenting. So I was trying to plan ahead a little bit there. Right. Um, and it, it turned, it's turned out really well. So. Yeah. So you are a huge advocate for gender equality and, um, how, how has that played a role in the way that you've, I guess, grown and developed in the immigration law setting at the university? Cause you've been there a long time. You're now the director. How would you say that, um, being in that role, has allowed you to make an impact there? Well, certainly there's been an enormous focus on uh, women in the workplace, but also women in academia. Um, one of the nice things about um, 
immigration is that we're not seeing just efforts in what I guess I could consider to be like the traditional areas where maybe the U.S. hasn't had as many uh, graduates, like particularly in STEM fields, um, which, you know, historically have been male-dominated. Um, being able to to see women being hired and giving them quality immigration services to make sure that they they get all the way around the baseball field, so to speak, right, right. through the many hoops we have to jump through to get them right. um, some long-term immigration benefits on the basis of, of having a job, a permanent job, like a faculty position um, is really powerful because I know that's helping keep, not just get people in the door, but keep them here, you know, quality, um, quality faculty in, um, in areas um, where women maybe historically are not so well represented. Um, right. But the interesting thing is it's, that's evolving outside the STEM field too, because the emphasis on data science has become so yes. huge. You know, there's metrics for everything now. Um, so that focus is spreading into lots of other areas, public health, social work, um, business, you know, there's, um, there's data everywhere you look. And so um, being able to, to see women and to make sure that the women who get these jobs get where they need to go from an immigration perspective so they can continue to, to be part of our community is really rewarding. So Yeah. I think it's also really awesome that we have a university and, you know, as a capital city in South Carolina, the university brings a lot of diversity um, to our town, which is, which is wonderful. So what would you say your, your biggest critics have said along the way? And did you listen to them? Um, probably a little bit what I've talked to you about a little already. Um, I, I have a great deal of candor, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, <laughs> which sometimes, you know, I have, to, I have learned to wield uh, more, you know, forcefully when I need to, but pull it back and save my coupons for when I need to. I've learned this, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that I don't have to be turned up all the way all the time right? Um, to be powerful and effective um, that I can, I can work more strategically. Um, so I have taken that advice to heart um, Yeah, because I don't want the way I deliver a message to distract from the content of my message. And, right. you know, ultimately what I'm looking for is an appropriate outcome or a fair outcome. Right. Then, you know, the, I need to do everything I can to con, to make sure that I'm, I'm doing my part to support that. Right. And so um, one thing I'm interested to hear is your, what would be, this is such a cheesy question, but I really am interested in the answer. And, um, you know, I'm always looking for advice. And with all of the, um, all that you've done and all of the big leaps that you've made throughout your life to, to find that like where you feel worthwhile, you're not making irrelevant pants, you know, and that's really (laughs) important to you. What would be your biggest piece of advice to young women um, as they try to find their journey? I would say trust your gut. Um, Usually the reason something doesn't feel right is because it isn't. Um, And there's, there's so many ways that we, I think as women try to, uh, and lower our own needs, um, or subvert them to other people's needs. Oh, my kids need this. My spouse needs that. My employer needs this. Um, and that's something we have a lot of practice at right? <laughs> <laughs> over many years. So, 
um, I would say don't shove that feeling down. If something isn't right, stand up and do something about it because it's, it's not right for a reason. And that feeling isn't going to go away until, right. until you take a hard and candid look at, at those, at the situation or, or whatever those, those factors are, those variables are that, that, that just don't feel right. Um, right. And usually the simplest, you know, that, that gut, that, that initial feeling you have is usually the right one. Right. You know, before you get on the gerbil wheel that we all get on <laughs> at night, you know, right. did I do this? Did I do that? What about that? And then, you know, we doom scroll a little while and then we, you know, <laughs> at yeah. least I, so, um, trust that initial gut feeling. So one of our questions at, that we like to ask, um, all of our interviews is, you know, venture means to offer at the risk of rebuff, rejection, or censure to put yourself out there. And you have always had a bold voice. So why do you venture? It's the right thing to do. I'm plain and simple. Um, change doesn't come or good outcomes don't come from just sitting idly by and waiting for somebody else to do it. I mean, right. I'm a big believer in if I want something done, you know, I've got to get buy-in from the people I need who, who can help me make that change. Um, and I have to put myself out there. I'm, I can't delegate that to other people. Um, so I'm, it's just the right thing to do. So what's next for you? Uh, rinse, wash, repeat for a little while, I think, <laughs> until, <laughs> until my kids go to college, right? And right, and then I can get one nostril up for air. Yeah. Then, right? <laughs> um, I, I'm going to be here. You know, I, I really love Columbia. I, um, I talk a, a lot about that, you know, when, um, when we have faculty who are coming to interview at USC. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I talk to the candidates who are not U.S. citizens while they're here interviewing, just as a courtesy to let them know who's going to be handling their immigration stuff. But I also try to talk to them just as a parent, um, and for the for the women candidates, you know, as a mom, like, you know, that you know they can't just only expect to hear from me about immigration stuff if they want to hear about neighborhood stuff and right. culture stuff and community stuff and parent stuff. Um, I I like to continue to offer that sort of full human scope of, of advice, which, you know, is a little leftover from family law and a little yeah. leftover from the fun stuff from fashion and a little leftover from writing. And so, um, it's fun to collage all this together now and, um, and use this unusual path I've had to, right. <laughs> to try to help people, you know, come to love Columbia as much as, as I do. Um, I'm, you know, when I moved here to go to law school, I thought, well, I'll go to law school and, and then I met a guy and I was like, well, okay, well, after, you know, after a while, we'll, you know, we'll move somewhere and we'll do something. And it turns out that, um, Columbia is where I want to be and, um, where, yeah. where we're going to stay. So that's, that's a good feeling. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's good to feel like you're home. Right. Um, I never thought I would stay here either. And the longer I'm here, the more I love it. And there's so many great people and so much opportunity here. So we're lucky to have you. Thanks for having me now. Yeah. We're lucky to have y'all. Tuning in to Venturing Voices. We're excited to release a new podcast every Friday, which can be found on our website at femxcolumbia.com forward slash Venturing Voices. We look forward to you tuning in next week and introducing you to another badass woman. Thanks so much.